Imagine if we actually took the time and effort to have an intro instead of just going, hey, it's the Don Juan's a dynasty, and then just saying the episode name. No, I like uh, it better when we just dive right into it. I mean, it's got its own unique flavor. Maybe uh, maybe when we get to be really popular and whatnot, we'll have a legit intro. But until then, uh, welcome back, boys. The Don Juan's a dynasty are back with their 15th episode, and this is following week seven of the NFL season. Uh, we're going to have a fun one today. We're going to go into a couple of segments as we usually do, and we're going to talk a little about trade buy high, buy low theory, uh, and go into that in a little more detail. So with that being said, I'm your host, Mike, and I'm joined by John. Yo. And Tim. Boys, another fun week was had by all but OBJ and the NFL. Uh, As per usual, there was some surprises, some things that went kind of as we thought they would. And as per usual, we're going to go ahead and we're going to break down some of those things this week. So with that being said, Tim, I'm going to kick it over to you to have the first segment of today. All right. So this segment is uh, near and dear to my heart. It's something that you guys like to uh, get me with all the time. And it is, what is the difference between panicking and making a move ahead of the curve? Such as, I'm going to use Odell Beckham as my example. He's been trending downward for a while, and he just got injured. And it was a pretty major injury. At what point do you cut bait and you trade him away, rather than kind of eat his value and hope that he comes back? Like, do you think that it's only downhill from here? Well, at at this point, at this point, you're not going to get anything for him mm-hmm. because he's hurt like if you if you traded him maybe after that big game he had you could still get decent value for him because people like he had, he's a big name player but now that he's hurt for the year like you're not he already wasn't having a good year and then he tore his ACL like you're not really going to get anything for him so you might as well just keep him and hope that he bounces back next year okay Understandable. it's it's so he's he's it's a good question, Tim. It's a little bit weird with him, I think, because you know, usually when a player like him gets hurt, you know, not not to say that these are the same types of players, but when Saquon got hurt, the first thought that I think we had when we discussed it was is that a good opportunity to look as a rebuilding team to get a guy like Saquon on your roster if you can afford it? Um, because you're not playing for this year anyway, and you could give up usable assets that actually give you a better chance of scoring less and therefore having an earlier pick as well. So OBJ is in a weird spot because he's ultimately going to be um, 28 when you get to use him again. I think it's less likely that a rebuilding team, you know, is going to be shelling out for him because he's, you know, yes, he's in a wide receiver prime, but he's not in a prime for a rebuild team. So to your point, I mean, He's still probably worth a first. He's probably worth a late first, but most people are just going to wait till the offseason now. They're not going to want to buy unless they can get them really cheap. So uh, I wanted to bring it back to my initial question of um, how consistent of a downturn does it take to scare you in order to you know make a move and try to ship a player away? Like it's not panicking. It's you can see the cliff coming up or a potential cliff coming up, and that worries you more than any potential quote-unquote lost value than if you were to hold him and hope that he does a little better later in the year and you could sell him higher. Like, this is a player that you want off your team right now because you think that he is going to fall off a cliff. I think – I think so, okay, so to your rephrase question, I, I'm going to use another player as an example of where I think this is really applicable. So, like, I was in trade talks this week with somebody about Ezekiel Elliott, and 
Um, when we talked about Elliot earlier in the year, there was the concept of, you know, if I was doing a startup, I would take Elliot as the second running back off the board, mm-hmm. but I'm not currently paying a ton of capital for Elliot because I think you're getting him at his most expensive value and Elliot's only going to start to decrease in value. So to bring it back to what you're saying, I think it's not a panic if you know the player's value is going to continue to go down. In other words, if you had Julio Jones, you know Julio Jones' value from this point on in his career is not going to go up. He's only going to be worth uh, you know, what you want to your team. He's never going to be worth more unless you're a team that's going for it and they're willing to overpay slightly. So I'd say most of the time, um, if you're panicking and you're panic selling an older player, it's a lot safer than panic selling a player that hasn't broken out in a year or two. Um, that being said, I think it's really a case by case basis. I don't think you should overreact to one or two games though, mm-hmm. if it's that kind of a sample. All right. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I agree with that. I think, um, interesting guys, like a guy like Joe Mixon, where he's, I mean, he's 24. He, he, uh, you know, he didn't have a great start to the season, but everyone has seen what he can do, but, um, he also has the contract extension. So like, just because he has a couple bad games, like he's still there for the future. And we know he's a good running back and he's not, he's not like he's 26 or anything like that. So there's no need to panic and sell him right away. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I agree with that. So you're saying error on the side of caution, as long as it's a younger guy, because holding and potentially losing value is safer than let's say giving away Julio Jones, because if you give away Joe Mixon, you're going to see him or he's going to play against you for the next four years. Julio, not so much. Uh, yeah, then uh, and a bad way to play fantasy is to be overly reactionary. Like if you're being reactionary to what you see immediately when you see it, that's how you go into making panic moves. You want to be proactive to your point, but you also need to know when you're going to be selling for what is perceived too low of a value. And also it depends on your team makeup, right? Like if you're in a rebuild and you have a player like OBJ, you just kind of have to pitch him around now um, and just see what you can get and just like kick the tires because you don't really probably want him if you're a rebuilding team. Whereas two years ago in a rebuilding team, OBJ would have been a great asset to build around. It's just a different situation now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. All right. Well, uh, that's all I had to say about that. So, uh, Mike, I want to kick it back to you for your topic, if you guys are done. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, yeah, thanks, Tim. So, I think for my topic this week, one thing I wanted to start talking about a little bit was kind of uh, rookie wide receiver perception. So, I know last week I did a basically like a rookie running back report just going through the running backs and like seeing where they're at, seeing if you should panic and et cetera. I'm not going to go into the same level of depth this week because I, I don't want to take away from our other segments and, and time. But what I want to talk about is the the theory of, you know, what you should really be expecting from a wide receiver based on what, you know, your perception of their rookie year should be. So in other words, to elaborate on that a little bit, I think it's really important to realize that rookies traditionally take a lot longer at wide receiver to start learning their positions on top of that, it's a COVID season. So again, there was no preseason, which means it's even more critical for the timing of wide receiver routes and for the separation of wide receiver routes. So I think that it's a very good year to, to have a good pulse on what that means for players. So in essence, players that are already popping off are probably extremely legit. The ones that I think most people are talking about are CeeDee Lamb, um, 
you know, Justin Jefferson, Chase Claypool have all been very solid. Brandon Ayuk's had a really good start to the year as well, based on what you expected from him. Um, you know, and then there's a couple of players that have been more quiet this year. And I think it's very helpful to have a perspective on some of those things. So two players I'm thinking about namely are Jerry Judy and uh, Brian Edwards. So I wanted to first shout out Dynasty DeLorean, who um, – Dynasty League football actually had some great analytics around wide receivers and their hit rates based on kind of how many yards they get in a rookie year. So just for a very quick preamble, um, essentially, if you're hitting a thousand yards in your rookie year, your hit rate as a stud is extremely high. So the average hit rate from players from 2016 to 2019 is 83% if they have a thousand yard rookie year. So I think that's very obvious, right? Like if a player has a thousand yard rookie year, you're very excited about them. Similarly, if they have 900 yards or 900 yards to 999 yards, uh, the hit rate is still pretty reasonable at 44%. Um, and it's going to keep going down. So typically it goes halved for every 100 yards less you get. So 800 to 899 yards, uh, the hit rate's 27%. So it's, you know, it's a little more than half of the 900 yard, 44% hit rate. 700 to 799 yards is a 30% hit rate from the past four years. 600 to 699 yards is a 6% hit rate. Um, you know, and then if you get under that, you're really looking at like a 5%, you know, even less kind of hit rate. So, you know, some, some name worthy people that I want to point out. So 500 to 599 yard rookies, uh, Tyree kill was a 500 to 599 yard rookie. Um, Hollywood was as well. So was Chris Godwin. So was Michael Gallup. So, you know, there are, think of it this way. There are less players that hit higher thresholds and therefore the numbers will skew further. Um, so in, in other words, there's a lot of players that can hit 500 yards their rookie year because there's more volume of it. So therefore, the hit rate's going to be even lower on top of the fact that typically elite players produce higher wide receiver numbers. Um, so as a safe rule of thumb, I'm always looking for my rookie receivers to hit 500 to 599 receiving yards as a bare minimum. And then I think past that context is really important. So to draw this back to Jerry Judy and Brian Edwards, um, Jerry Judy is actually on pace for around 780 ish receiving yards. And that's amidst the fact that he had to deal with COVID. Um, and it's also amidst the fact that he hasn't really been playing with Drew Locke very consistently. And that team is somewhat of a mess. So I think in the shuffle right now, Jerry Judy is starting to slide down people's ranks a little bit, but I wanted to just kind of give an example of why you should hold faith. And, you know, in the case of Brian Edwards, I think injury has played a large part in why you haven't seen more of him so far. So again, don't, don't want to panic and sell these guys to your point about panicking Tim. Um, But with that being said, what are your guys thoughts around that? And do you have thoughts about receivers that you've seen so far that you feel much the same way that you have to be patient? Um, Yeah, no, I definitely um, Brian Edwards. Um, you know, if you look at his couple games, um, he's been getting a lot of – I know we talked about this before, that for rookie wide receivers, it's almost more important for them just to be on the field rather than um, fully producing. Um, he's been on the field a lot, and I think he was on pace for, you know, for roughly around 500, 600 yards on the season, and then he got hurt. Um, but guys like that, it's tough because, um, like we talked about before, rookie wide receivers take longer to develop. So – when they do get hurt their rookie year, it almost sets them back a whole year. Like, look at Nikhil Harry. So, as 
I mean, I am being patient with Brian Edwards because I, I liked him pre-draft and I drafted him in the league, but it does worry me a little bit when rookie wide receivers get hurt for an extended period of time. Like now he's missed what he's going to be missing like four games or something like that. Yeah. He's, he's in and out. And I don't know how many weeks he's expected to miss further than that, but I think, um, you know, again, if he's hurt, it does take away, but he doesn't, here's, here's something that's worth pointing out. Ruggs has looked fine, but Ruggs hasn't like stepped up and changed the game thus far. I'm sure he's still learning the position too, but he hasn't become so clearly defined that I'm convinced that when Brian Edwards comes back, like there isn't going to be a role for him. You know, all of those guys seem to be playing well off of each other, but I think the good news with Brian Edwards right now is none of those guys have just come in and taken a job away that you thought Brian Edwards was going to have. Whereas, like, for running backs like Cam Akers, like, Henderson has kind of gone in and taken that job, and he's young, and his path to future touches is now very murky. Yeah, like, the guy in Brian Edwards' spot right now is pretty much Nelson Aguilar, who's been playing pretty well, but, I mean, we all kind of know that when Brian Edwards comes back, he can easily just step right back into that role. Yeah. For Aguilar, we know who he is. It's like when I go on Reddit and I see people asking, oh, should I hold Javon Wims or should I hold Darnell Mooney? And you say, okay, we hold the guy whose ceiling we don't know yet. Yeah, and and there's sometimes exceptions to the rule, to your point, John. Like, DJ Shark is somebody who I dropped his rookie year, and I'm pretty sure DJ Shark had, like, a very injury-riddled first year. And then his second year, he had a 1,000-yard season. And to that point, there's a lot of analytics on this. And, and you know, if a receiver hits 1,000 receiving yards his second year, um, their hit rate is roughly 50%. So, like, I, it's hard to just, like, sell on a guy after a year or two and, and give up on them, especially when they have that high pedigree. Like, if I have Jerry Judy right now, I don't think I'm going to give Jerry Judy plus to get Claypool. Like, I think that's a reactionary move. Um, yeah. That being said, I think I'm starting to see people value Claypool already ahead of Judy, which is just like an interesting development based on where they were. It just goes to show people want, you know, what they can tangibly see in fantasy when you're dynasty, especially when you have a guy who's quote unquote upside, that's all it can be. Sometimes I know that a few years ago, Dante Foreman, the guy that the Texans drafted in the third round, he was really physically gifted at running back. He was a big dude and he was fast and he was behind Lamar Miller. Everyone in the Reddit community and outside of that, they were thinking, hey, this guy is built like a starting running back. So they were drafting him with upside, hoping that he would be the guy to take it over. But then all of a sudden he gets hurt, he's off the team, and you're left holding the bag in a guy that never actually did anything when you could have invested elsewhere on something safer. Yeah. And and yeah, it's, you, you got it, John. All right, thanks. Uh, I was just going to say it's all about you know, what have you done for me lately? And that's a good thing to take advantage of in Dynasty. Um, look at, I don't want to throw mm-hmm. Timmy under the bus here, but our first year you dropped Kenny Galladay when he only had what it was, it was 500 yards his rookie season. You were like, oh, he's, he's had, he didn't do anything. And now, now that we're a couple of years in, you see a rookie that has 500 yards, and, you know, five, six touchdowns. And you're like, wow, he's, he, he looks mm-hmm. like he's going to be good. So it's a good thing to take advantage of if, People are and thinking also like that. Just being new to Dynasty, people coming over from redraft and from yearly leagues, that's a common mistake to make because I was talking to someone about this earlier in the season before Justin Jefferson had his breakout game. They said, wow, I found Justin Jefferson on waivers. And you start thinking, okay, you know, like we know what we know now, but I'm just thinking back to when I first started. It is frustrating when you have a guy and you're like, why haven't you broken out yet? I don't understand because you have no context for how long it takes. 
not everyone's Mike Evans. Not everyone is Odell Beckham Jr. having a thousand yards in their first year. Sometimes these guys take time and dynasty is when you hold your guys and you have to have faith in them that they will produce. Yeah, and I think to your point, Justin Jefferson was behind Ola B.C. Johnson for, like, those first two games, and people were going, well, where's my Jefferson? And then, well, here he is. Like, he brought – you know, he came around still pretty fast, all things considered. But we we kind of said in the pre-draft, you know, Justin Jefferson was extremely refined as a player. Like, he had really strong route running, um, and he's being put in a position to succeed early, right? That's the same thing with Lamb. Lamb looks so good with Dak and now look what's going on with Andy Dalton. I mean, I think, you know, Jerry Judy isn't even getting the ball consistently from Locke. And then look last year, what happened with Ben Roethlisberger when he was out and how it affected Juju and even like Deontay. I think that's why people are still so high on Deontay Johnson is because he had almost, I think 700 receiving yards his rookie year amidst all of this stuff going along and being brought along slowly. So like to your point, you definitely have to like look and say like what's what's the reason this is happening? Like has Judy had concentration drops? Like definitely, but receiver, you just sometimes have to be patient. Like I'm not I'm not moving these guys after six or seven weeks. You you have them for years, you know. Yeah, and another good example is like I have Nikhil Harry, and he really hasn't broken out yet. But you think about like he was basically just bullying people in college, and then now the competition's way better. And you combine that with doesn't really look like he has much chemistry with Cam Newton and Newton's really not throwing him up the ball. Um, Cause when Stidham comes in and plays it, he just kind of chucks it up to Nikhil and lets him go get it kind of what he did in college, but Newton's not doing that. So, you know, you got to think of that, like that's holding him back and hopefully Newton's a one year rental and then they get somebody else in there and they can build his Patriots fan. He's looking yeah. like a one year rental. You don't like, <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. It's it's definitely an interesting situation to be brought into because sometimes there's no rhyme or reason to it, right? Like Travis Fulgham is an undrafted, you know, rookie that is popping off for the Eagles right now. Rager hasn't really played yet. I, I still love Rager's talent, um, and I'm excited to see him come back. He's actually ahead of you know schedule to come back, but it's just it's a really to your point a really good exercise of thinking about and analyzing situations and what you're seeing on the tape versus what's showing up on the stat line. Um, and also, like, who who's around the player? Like, notice the similarity about all of those rookie receivers so far, really, um, with the exception of, I guess, Fulgham. But, you know, see, not even just the quarterback situation, but he has he's can, he can play out of the slot. Like, he doesn't have to start on the outside immediately. And you look at Jefferson, and he has Thielen there to help take away coverage. Um, so, so you look at some of these guys that are popping off Claypool, right? They have Deontay Juju. Like, Claypool wasn't getting the main attention most of the time. This week he actually wasn't – he didn't have a great week. So, you know, Judy is getting covered by the number one and he's on the outside. To your point, John, Nikhil is kind of like a pseudo number one. Um, he's probably the scarier guy over Edelman, even though Edelman has been so reliable for years. So he's probably getting some more attention too. The good news with Nikhil, from what I'm seeing though, is I think he's getting um, – worked into the offense well like I think they're using him on short passes and screens to try to let him use his physicality whereas in you know game plan wise I'm not almost seeing them push for Judy to get those same kinds of touches so to your point I think that the Patriots still have faith in Nikhil obviously we'll have to see what happens with him yeah well I mean they drafted him in the first round so he's gonna get every chance in the book yeah exactly do you guys have anything else on this I'm I'm ready to move on uh, no, I'm good. 
Okay, awesome. Which I guess brings me to brings it to me. Yep. So I'm just gonna finish our um, buy high and buy low wide receivers from last episode, um, and then I'll I'll do my weekly segment next week. Um, so I'm gonna start with a buy high, and I'm gonna go with Jalen Rager, and he's been hurt, um, and hasn't really been on the field, but. What we've seen of him, like when he is on the field, he's flashing really high upside, and it, there's really no competition. Like like you said, they're throwing it to Travis Fulgram or whatever. Um, the only reason I think he's still a buy high is because whoever drafted him took him early enough where it's going to take a decent trade to to take them away from that owner. Um, and he's also probably out of my buy highs here. He's the cheapest out of a guy like T. Higgins or Justin Jefferson. So I, I like Rager as a buy high. I agree with that. Um, I just wanted to add, though, it's sometimes it's hard to buy high on rookies. Like, people love the shiny new toy they have on their roster. And even if you do give a deal that's fair on paper, it can sometimes be hard mentally to let that guy go. Well, yeah, that's why, even though he's been hurt, that's mm-hmm. why he's still a buy high. Yeah, I think with that mediocre defense and with the way that Wentz is throwing it, it's kind of a good thing that Fulgham has shown up early because I have a feeling that defenses can't, like, double-team breaker immediately when he's back just off of, like, his name value because I think Fulgham is going to warrant a little bit of respect. Further, I think Dallas Goddard is going to be getting healthy in the next couple of weeks, which is going to help kind of separate and spread out that team further. Plus, if Miles Sanders is back, you shouldn't be looking at too many uh, stack boxes. So I think the Eagles players in general are looking up if they can get healthy in the next couple of weeks. And to your point, John, I think you're exactly right. Like people aren't necessarily selling Rager low, but if you haven't seen your rookie explode yet, it's, it's easier. Like if Rager comes back in two weeks and he has 28 points, good luck. It's the same thing as when Jefferson blew up on week three. Like once they have one of those games, you just can't you can't get them anymore. So I really like that as a as an option for a buy high. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Mike. Tim, do you want to say one of your buy high wide receivers next, or your buy wide buy uh, yeah. high wide so receiver? So for my buy high receiver, uh, I have Terry McLaurin, and it looks like already we're seeing his ceiling. But uh, he's so talented, um, he produces despite being the only receiving weapon on that whole offense. And with the subpar <laughs> quarterback, John, I know you love uh, Kyle Allen because he's a cool dude. But I don't know, he's not he's not the best quarterback in the world. So he's beaten schemes, double coverage, all of that except uh, my only, not hesitation, but a reason why you might even be able to get him is uh, the Philip Lindsay effect, I guess I could call it, of what John mentioned when we were talking about Lindsay a few weeks ago. McLaurin's already 25, which is surprising. He's the same age as Calvin Ridley, and um, I, yeah. So yep. it's not like, you know, you're trying to buy someone like a DJ Moore who's 23 and – you know, he already has, oh, so much upside. It's, you know, in a couple of years, that's going to be who he's going to be for the rest of his career. Yeah, but 25 is way different uh, being a wide receiver rather than a running back. So, like, 25 is really not – he's still – you're still going to get five more years out of him. And the one last Hopefully. point I wanted to add about that is, again, with the consistency, I think he can be a Robert Woods type. He can, he's going to be a top 10 wide receiver, or at least he's going to hover around number 10 on every single season. And he will give you games. Like he produces like the number one. He's not Megatron. He's not DeAndre Hopkins, but he will be a consistent high level performer. 
Yeah, I mean, he ran a four, what, four three nine or something. Like, he's a freak athlete, and he can run routes and stuff too. Like, he's just blowing by people. So yeah, I, I like that as a buy high. Just another wide receiver added to the list of wide receivers that I uh, yeah, sold to you. So he's uh, he's getting around. What would you buy for him? It, oh, you got it. He didn't. He didn't. He literally didn't even make it on. Didn't even make it on my team. I just immediately traded him elsewhere. <laughs> True. Oh, Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. What, you what would you buy him for right now? If if you wanted him back and you realize, okay, I think that I made a mistake, but I can buy high <clears throat> right now and get him back. I mean, I would do like a mid to late first, like maybe like pick six mm-hmm. on in the first round. Honestly, for McLaurin. I, I, yeah. yeah. I think I would do I earlier than that. Well, early, I mean, I'm just saying earlier than that, you, you could probably get a running back. The, so, or, uh, or like Jamar Chase or something. Co- context is important here, right? Like if I was a rebuilding team, I would rather have like definitely Jamar Chase, definitely probably like the second or third <clears throat> wide receiver in the class just because that receiver is going to be like four years younger than McLaurin. Um, if yeah. I was middle of the road, like to your point, you're going to get lots of productive years. Um, so it, it depends, I think, a little bit. And, and to what you're saying, Tim, about his age, it is a little bit deceiving with his age because he, he came onto the scene so quickly and looked really refined and strong. And, um, you know, Kyle Allen was force-feeding DJ Moore last year, and it worked really well. So, you know, Kyle Allen at the helm is probably better for him than Haskins. I think he's going to be more effective. That being said, I would, you know, mid-first, I think, is the right valuation for if him. I were a competing team and I wanted him, and I had all of my picks, I would give a first and a second, which in our league, for everyone listening, it's snake draft, so the first would be late, second would be early. I would give that plus a uh, like a Brian Edwards-type player for uh, Terry McLaurin, without thinking. I, I would slam accept that. Wow, I, that's pretty high. Damn. That's I a lot. Yeah, I don't know if I would do that, but that's high. I don't think I would do that either. Like, think about it. You got Justin Jefferson that early in the. But second. that was a deep, deep draft. So you, so, yeah, but I think this upcoming draft is going to be pretty similar. I like I said, I. I'm yeah. just, I'm just like this draft's going to be loaded. From what I'm just hearing. saying, like, like, thinking about the players that went. You're talking about giving up like a guy like Judy Jefferson. And Brian Edwards for McLaurin. I mean, again, if I was competing right now and I was, you know, in the thick of it for the playoff on, I would 100% take that deal because it was like I was saying uh, either last episode or the one before that. Sometimes you do leave value on the table when you improve your team. Yep, yeah, good point. That's and that's fair. I think. Uh... It's going to be interesting to see what happens with McLaurin, but I, it gets a little bit frustrating with some of these. Like, it's annoying to me that he's only a year younger than Tyreek, just because, like, if you're rebuilding, it's just deceptive. And I understand we're being ageist because 25 is still young enough to build around. But, like, it's an interesting point you bring up, Tim, because I think the biggest shame is that technically it's really only a second year in the league. And, I mean, a couple of knocks I had him on him, not even on him, was just, like, one, he's not dealing with a good quarterback. And I don't really see that changing too much in the near future. And, like, what's going to happen when they bring in other wide receivers? Yeah. So, like, we haven't seen him with any competition right now. He's literally the only guy. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think – so, John, what are you giving up if you're a little bit more skeptical? 
Or is, um, like a mid to late first. Okay, so we're all similar valuations. Tim might be the highest on him, but similar valuations. Yeah. Who do you got, Mike? All right. Um, so for my buy high, I'm going to go in with AJ Brown. And it looked a little bit better last week because I think it's going to be really <laughs> freaking hard to get him now. Um, for those that don't have him, I'm happy I have him in a league. But so AJ Brown, this is exactly what I said to you guys, right? We were doing our wide receiver rankings probably in week two or three. And I already said like, oh, AJ Brown's still my dynasty wide receiver seven or something like that. And I think you guys had him a little like lower. I don't think like crazy low, but I think probably like wide receiver 12, 13, something like that. And I was looking at it and going, "Eh, wait till he gets back and watch what he does again. Because, you know, again, going back to this wide receiver breakout stat, 83% of players that get a thousand yards their rookie season end up being a stud. And that is, you know, that is legitimate. So he he's a real red you know red zone threat he looks like a freak in open space he he kind of is like similarly built in my opinion to Debo Samuel he's just even freaking stronger and he runs crisper routes so AJ Brown's an absolute man among boys um and you know for me he's worth an early he's worth an early first I mean he's a cornerstone piece to build around and he's also very young I think he's 22 still I'll, I'll double check that right now um but he's he's young enough that you know you're gonna get him still a lot younger than probably a guy like McLaurin. Um, and his age is escaping right now. Is he? What, he does not have a birth certificate. Why is there uh, no age on him? He's 23. He's uh, actually 50. <laughs> AJ Brown Came is like it's like Albert Pujols years ago when Albert Pujols was like 35 and his birth certificate was doctored and said like 29 <laughs> or whoever that was. I don't remember. I think it was basketball Pujols. It was a different player. Um, yeah. yeah. One of them. Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of like a common thing for a lot of athletes, to be honest with you. Yeah, so I can't find his his uh, month, so I don't know if he's going to turn twenty three during this season or twenty three uh, or twenty four next year. But he's twenty three right now, so twenty four, um, turn twenty four that is. So he's twenty three, so he's a year younger than McLaurin, nearly two years younger, and um, he's going to be with Ryan Tannehill because they resign Ryan Tannehill. So uh, you know, I don't have to go into this super super in depth. But yeah, he's worth probably like 1.01 and and then some to me. Like I think he's that good. Um, the only real receiver that I think there's going to be debate for in that class is Jamar Chase, and that's because Jamar Chase is arguably a generational prospect. But you know, Jerry Judy, his second year was a generational prospect, and too early to say like what's going to happen with Judy. But Judy is going to probably still be a very good receiver. But you just don't know. And AJ Brown's a sure thing, and I think that should be you know logged. Yeah. I, I 100% I just agree with that. Oh, yeah, I'd, I'd give up 1.01 too. Yeah, and he's he's a great piece for a rebuilding team too. So I think my logic is if you're actually a full rebuild team, I would – it's hard to say. Once, once you get close to that draft, people start going crazy. But unless I needed Trevor Lawrence or I needed a quarterback in a two-quarterback rebuild, um, I think the 1.01 for most teams is going to be probably Jamar Chase. Um, I mean, we'll see where these running backs go, but I think Jamar Chase on a rebuild makes more sense than the best running back. But then again, if I had 1.01, I would have taken CH this year over Lamb just because I think running backs are so hard to get at that marquee position. We'll have to see where they go, long story short. But yes, I think we're all very similarly valued on AJ Brown. and He's a really good piece to build around if you have him. You should be stoked. Uh, what he does on a run first offense, I mean, they still pass a ton with Tannehill and in an NFL, you know, or in the NFL, you pass a lot. 
But Tennessee is just about as run first as they come. They're probably up there with Baltimore. So just the fact that he can produce like that on a team that runs so much, that's incredibly good to see. And what I think I'm noticing is – what I think I'm noticing is – thanks. What I think I'm noticing as well is that even game script-wise, like Tennessee seems to have games where Henry disappears a little bit from a run perspective because teams key in on him, and I haven't seen A.J. Brown disappear yet. I think it's just hard to blanket him and get him out of a game completely. So I don't think that you're – yeah, I have to worry too much about him not having a, a safe floor either. Whereas some of these guys can sometimes disappear that are these high end guys like Evans. I haven't seen AJ Brown kind of disappear yet. So knock on wood, we'll see what happens. Everybody has their bad games, but I think that's less of a problem with him, even on a run first team. Yep. That's, that's what I was going to say. So. <laughs> gotcha. All right. So I'll go into my buy low. Yep. Uh, mine was actually Brian Edwards. And just because, um, like we were, all the points we were saying before, he's he's a rookie, he's hurt. Um, I think when he comes back, he's going to step right into a similar role. Um, he's been – when he was healthy, he was getting on the field a lot. And he was on pace for cracking that 500 yards, um, that 500-yard mark as a rookie. Um, and I'm excited to see him come back. But I think now you could probably get him pretty cheap. <clears throat> and he was he was drafted in, what, the third round? And I feel like people, because he wasn't drafted in the first two rounds, he's a much easier buy than someone drafted earlier. So he he had so much hype his um, you know during the offseason too, for what it's worth. So that's that's an interesting one, John. So I think that he costs roughly a mid to late, maybe an early, depending on how excited you were, but a mid to late second in the offseason. Um, if I'm an owner of his, I don't know if I'm selling lower than that if that makes sense. I'd rather just take my chances with him. Yeah, but, I mean, you might be able to find someone who's, you know, thinking, oh, he's hurt and take a second form or something, depending on where their team's at. Like, I would trade a, a mid to late second form easily. Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. And I think – so let's do it this way. What about – let's think of players that, like, if you could trade them one for one right now, it would be worth doing. Would you trade – this is going to be a really close one. Even though I don't think any of us are huge Kenyon Drake owners, would you trade one-for-one one Kenyon Drake for Brian Edwards in yeah. a rebuild? In a rebuild? So I have Brian Edwards and I'm rebuilding? No, you you have Kenyon Drake. You, you could probably Brian squeeze Edwards. more out yeah, of absolutely. Uh, the guy that wants Drake just because of how valuable running backs are. I mean, yeah, he's hurt, but we just saw it happen today in uh, our 14-team league, that very complicated trade. <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> that's fair uh, I'm trying to think of what other values to anchor him for in a 2QB league if you had <sighs> Garrett if you had Gardner Minshew would you trade Gardner Minshew for Brian Edwards if he was your third quarterback uh, I, I mean as I've realized in my league you need a third quarterback for those bye weeks but um if I could get another third, like if I could get like a Philip Rivers type as my third quarterback or I mean, something Minshew like that, yeah, isn't uh, you know the stud that we were thinking he was going to be. I, not that he was going to become you know a top five quarterback or anything, but it is looking like replacing him is plausible. So I I would take that. 
That's a really that's a really interesting situation that they're going to have down in Jacksonville because they're discussing benching him. Speaking of this, real quick, but at the same time, the next best option is Mike Glennon. So I, I don't know. I mean, we you know if you were watching any of the tape this week, Shark was basically furious at him for not being able to hit him. And I think the two weeks, the past two weeks, I think Sharks had twenty one targets and only eight receptions. So it's like Minshew knows that he's trying to throw it to him, but for whatever reason, him and like Shark are not on the same page. I'm wondering if part of it is actually secretly practice time um, because Shark was a little bit hurt and I think he was missing practices and suiting up. I wonder if that's part of it with their timing and I wonder if that's actually making Minshew look worse too. I bet a lot of people haven't really thought about that just because of how Minshew's just generally looked a lot worse the past couple of weeks. Yeah, that's, that could definitely be it. So, but I mean, at that point, you might as well leave Minshew and no point in putting Glennon in. <laughs> I kind of agree, except if the receivers are going to kill him for missing them. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, you want to spare him on that. So, okay, fair enough. Uh, Tim, do you want to do your buy low next? I'm not going to lie. I just zoned out and thought I did my buy low, but <laughs> my buy low is, is Debo Samuel. <laughs> he's really, really talented. <laughs> Samuel. Samuel. He, uh, he's constantly injured, but he produces really well and really consistently when he's active. Uh, I know I already compared McLaurin to Robert Woods uh, with the production, but with the actual way he's moved around the field and used, I see a lot of Woods in Debo Samuel because of how they manufacture touches for him on pitches and sweeps, uh, screens, hitting it. They hit him everywhere on the field, which is really good to see. But right now, he's set to miss multiple weeks with another injury after you know being a little banged up last season, earlier this season. And competing teams need someone that can produce right now. I know last year uh, I was able to trade uh, Travis Kelsey for a late first and Calvin Ridley because Ridley was still boom or bust at that point, and they needed a consistent presence on their team. So you're getting a potential top 15, top 20 player who's consistently productive. And if a competing team has him, I'm sure they're willing to move him to be able to get someone that can help them in their flex or as their third receiver right now. I like that. My only issue with it, Tim, I think is, I think that there needs to be a little bit of thought behind what the AU Kittle factor is because Ayuk's looked really good there already. And you know, Debo, it's just, it's a weird situation because Garoppolo will not throw to him in a traditional way. Like they're using Ayuk in a more traditional sense, even though they're both great after the catch. So I don't know what to make of Debo. I did, I've shipped him off now in every league I've had him in, in, in some way. And it's not because I'm even trying to sell him. I just thought the value was good. Debo to me seems like the kind of guy who's going to be a wide receiver, back end wide receiver two, three. And my issue with Debo is almost that there's so many good receivers. I think Debo owners are going to want, to keep them for what most people are going to offer them for. Let's try to anchor a value to Debo real quick. Would you pay? Know, probably not. Only Maybe after Debo. last season because he finished really strong rookie, but now just with the injuries, that's what's holding me off with him. Yeah, I, I wouldn't either. And like you said, with Ayuk, I feel like Ayuk can be used in the same way, but they're also using him as more of like a downfield receiver too, where Debo's just getting – he's still just getting those handoffs and, you know, the screen passes and stuff. And in that offense, they could bring anyone in to do that. So, in the offseason, yeah, but now, no. 
I would agree with that. So none of us would – I wouldn't pay a first either. Would you pay an early second, keeping in mind the kinds of players that we've seen go the past year in the second? If you think his value is going to improve, I'd say somewhere you know between the early and mid-second. I think that's about a fair – or like where his value is. I don't know if I'd pay it, but that's where the value is. Yeah, I think I'm leaning – towards like mm. a mid-second like nowhere earlier than like pick 14 ish okay that's fair so interesting thing right he's a good rebuild piece but i'm gonna hit you with something interesting that i bet you won't have expected he's gonna be 25 by next year his birthday is january 15th so he is actually three years older than Ayuk. And it's very likely that on a rebuild team, same issue as McLaurin, again, not like old, but older than you think for trying to build around him. So like if I was a rebuild team, I'd probably stand pat. If I was somebody who I thought would be competitive in a year or two, like obviously he's still a good piece to build around, just a little older than people expect. And I just feel like with his his style of play, like these injuries are just going to keep coming. Like run after catch, uh, you know, playing like a running back. Yeah, so. Okay, that's right. fair. Yep. I I don't have anything else on uh, Debo, but I am going to go ahead and go into my buy low. And this is kind of weird because both of my buy lows are, could be can, you know, perceived as buy highs in some ways, but I'm going to call Chris Godwin my buy low. And at a certain point, this is because I just don't think you're going to get Godwin any cheaper. So let's compound some of the things with Chris Godwin that are worth noting. So Antonio Brown, which we didn't really talk about this week was brought in um, by Tampa Bay this past week. Uh, He was signed. So he's going to be active week nine, you know, Evans is there. So now that we got Evans, we got Godwin, we have Antonio Brown, we have Gronkowski, um, you know, they still have Scotty Miller. They still have Tyler Johnson. So they have a boatload of mouths to feed. Um, on top of that, Godwin keeps getting hurt. Like, let's be honest. He got hurt uh, week two. I think he came back for a week. He got hurt week four. Then they held him out. Then he's back. And then lo and behold, last week he broke his finger um, catching a touchdown. He's going to be out this week. He just actually had surgery for it, I believe, today. Um you know, so with that being said, Godwin is in a very tough position because he can be a little bit frustrating to owners and there's a lot of mouths to feed. Now, you know, now that we got the obvious reasons he's a buy low out of the way, let me go into some of why I think he's still an awesome piece to build around and still a top five dynasty wide receiver if you can get him. First off, um, you know, all of these guys we're talking about, Debo, Terry McLaurin, he's the same age as them. Uh, he's 24 and yet he has a lot more years of NFL experience. He also had such a big blow up last year and had such a strong year the year before. Um, we've kind of already seen him do this and put it up to the next level. He was, I believe, wide receiver two overall last year that you know he's legit when he plays. More so what I've noticed in the games he's played with Evans, he has a very safe floor and he is the one that's getting fed more consistently than Evans, whereas Evans disappears for games. I think it's because of the way Godwin plays and the fact that he gets moved around into the slot and out of the slot. Um 
he just doesn't have a lot of dud games. And I think that he has good rapport with Brady for how little they've played together. And it looks to me like Brady is often his first read. So if there are people that are panicking on kind of what's happening with Godwin, I think it's a really good opportunity to buy. Um, I know in one of my leagues, I'm, I'm looking to buy him if I can. I have him in redraft as well. So like I'm a huge Godwin fan. And, and if you can get him at the right price, I do like him a lot. Yeah, I don't really have much to add on to that. I agree with everything you said. And especially after he had such a big year last year, um, you know, people are obviously disappointed about this year because there's so much hype. Um, so, yeah, I think now it's kind of like the perfect um, – like everything's kind of falling into place for you, for him to be more of a buy low. Say so if you can oh, get him, sorry, I, I would get say, him. I agree too. Uh, you love to yeah, see a young and- player hit a ceiling like that or – who even knows that that's a ceiling? He's only 24 years old, but just the fact that he's already done that is so great. I would love to have him on my team. Yeah, and to your point, like we're we're not just talking about an average year. Like his his year last year, he had 1,300 yards with nine receiving touchdowns. Right, like that is uh, that's what you kind of want to see from a future stud. Um, and, and again, like I think his, his floor has been safe and in games he's played this year, exception of injuries that he's had, he's had 10.9, uh, 14.9, 7.3, 19.3. Uh, so he's averaging 13.1 points a game and 0.5 PPR. So like his floor has been, in my opinion, a lot safer than Evans, who has given you, um, you know, a game of 6.7, a game of 1.5 and a game of 4.7 and he's played every game. So you know, he's looked at as the, as the read right now. And I think with the Antonio Brown news, what I'm making of it is I wouldn't be panicking if I had uh, Godwin. I think Evans though, I am definitely a little bit of, you know, concerned about what I'm seeing from Evans and his rapport um, with Brady. Well, they can also get out of Evans contract, right? That's, that's a good question as well. And I'm not a hundred percent sure on the contract situation, but I believe that it's his fifth year and he was a first round pick. So I don't think he's gotten like a mega contract, which means he is likely due for one or they can get out of his contract. Yeah. I think I remember hearing that when they drafted um, Tyler Johnson, how some was saying they could get out of Evan's contract for the next couple of years. And uh, so, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think that's exactly the point, right? Like you, you need to kind of just look at who the who's who of the, of the, of the team situation. Yeah. So it looks like to your point, John, I did double check it. So in 2021, he, he is going to be with the Bucks. Um, It looks like he did sign a new deal. Um, So he technically is with Tampa through 2024, but he's going to be 28 next year. And I believe that he isn't due a roster bonus. So I don't think they're going to cut him outright, but I do think that there is some fluctuation that is due and they can kind of get out of some of this if they want to. Just because everyone knows that the low is coming in another week and a half. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You're kind of selling on name value, and it's a very weird situation because he's never had less than a thousand receiving yards. He's the kind of receiver that I just hate having on my team. I, I can't stand the weeks where he gets me four. Um, he always seems to put it all into a thousand yard season at the end of the day, but like it definitely drives me crazy. Um, yeah. 
Okay. So with that being said, that's, that's all I had on it um, for our buy highs and buy lows for receivers. Um, to your point, it's a good thing we ended up breaking that down this week. Cause I think we had plenty to say on that. I'm going to go ahead and kick it over to you, Tim, to kind of talk us through the buy high buy low trade theory and kind of just some of the general trade advice, which, you know, we can obviously go into for a whole episode, but we want to go ahead and kind of close out well, with some conceptual um, stuff here before we end the day. For buying high and especially for buying low, buying low, you are not sneaky. Everyone knows what you're doing. If my, you know, star player has a down week and then you come at me and you start offering, oh, I'll give a couple of late seconds for him. It's yes, I know you're doing that because he had the down week. And also, in addition to that, injuries do not automatically equal discounts unless it's something, you know, season ending, major. But again, you see a lot with injuries and people are trying to buy the second something happens. Yeah, that's that's like, I mean, I've Eckler in our 14 team league and the second he went down, people were tossing me out trades and I'm like, no, like Eckler's still good. He's coming back this year. You know what he is. Like he's a good player. He's now that Herbert's in, he's dumping him off the ball. It's it's he's gonna be what everyone thought Eckler was gonna be. And just because he's missing six weeks, I'm not just gonna like dump him off for like Kenyon Drake. That's exactly what Kenyon Drake's mind. playing so right was, now. Uh, so that's that's a good point. Eckler. And um I don't know, it's just hard because yes, hypothetically, if someone gets injured for, you know, a few weeks or let's say the season like Odell Beckham, if you think he bounces back, yes, this is a great time to buy low on someone like him. But for someone that's hurt a few weeks, no, you're, you're not getting them for table scraps. But if you want to go a little more into the theory, yeah. I don't know if you guys said Exactly. And, and I – Well, I was I was gonna say something that I like doing just to just to go off this and then I'll kick it over to John is is like I think that it's okay to buy quote unquote buy low on like an injury based player, but you just you can't do it right when they go out, right? You need to wait like two to three weeks and it needs to be one of those, oh my player hasn't played in a couple of weeks and like, oh I know they're gonna be out, but like you need to have them almost forget that they're gonna you know, forget that they're missing the points a little bit. So I don't like to go after players that are get hurt like the first week they get hurt, unless I guess you're rebuilding somebody who's really freaking out like Saquon, but like um, I like to wait a couple of weeks and then typically target those guys. But to your point, you're definitely not being sneaky. And, you know, if I'm the guy that has my player hurt, I, I don't ever really want to trade my guy hurt because I think you're always getting a depressed value on what they're really worth. So there are some particular times where there are exceptions to that rule, kind of like when you're going for it all, um, kind of when you're rebuilding. Like, I, I don't want to hurt players, you know, unless they're an older guy at all. And again, who wants an older player? They're uh, going forth for the year. So if you're a rebuilding team and you have a hurt player, you probably basically never want to sell them. Um, and if you are a team that's going for it and you have a player that's hurt, you want to really assess how close to going for it you are actually at, like what point that is. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, a big thing is, I think, diving more into like what a sell high buy low actually is. Like, for example, I know we've talked about this a lot, but when I sold high on technically sold high on Drew Locke coming into the uh, like with all the offseason hype, like he really hadn't done anything yet. But there was so much hype around the team that they drafted and all that stuff. I was able to sell high. And I mean, even though I, I still do like Drew Locke, like the deal I got was way better. And I took advantage of selling him high, even though he hadn't even played yet, because you're always taking a risk. 
Um, and I mean, I took a risk that he wasn't going to perform as, as good as everyone thought he was going to do. So, um, yeah, that's a, I mean, you're Definitely. always taking a risk uh, no matter what you're doing. So. It's true. And you, you need to take that, that calculator risk to your point too, because like another thing that you can do is you can sell the guy right when they're coming back from injury, right? Like Christian McCaffrey, the week he's coming back, well, he could get re-injured again. He might look less effective off that ankle sprain. Um, Mike Davis is allegedly going to be sharing some more snaps because according to the coach, he's earned that. Um, you know, so I would say that McCaffrey's value is basically back to max now, whereas it might've been like, you know, 95 or 90 cents on the dollar a couple of weeks ago. So if I was looking to sell Christian McCaffrey, I'd say now is a pretty good also time to start low, thinking about um, it. Especially when you're trying to, you know, broach a subject with uh, a league mate, it is so important that you don't come across as like an absolute sleaze bag. You cannot send a low ball offer because immediately they will shut down unless, you know, they're very talkative, but I'm sure you guys have experience with other league mates doing that when you send out a feeler deal and then they think, oh, no, I'm, I'm upset that you offered that to me. I completely disagree with that valuation. Yeah, you, yeah, you definitely don't want to like completely lowball. I would more kind of gauge how the other person feels about that player before I just like tossing out a third for like Eckler because he's hurt. My my go uh, oh, oh you got it, John. No, you take it, take it. My my go to strategy and I've actually shifted um probably in the past year or so and I've been playing Dynasty for like a, a while. So, you know, you kind of learn some of these things as you go. Um, you know, to John and Tim's point, they're <laughs> I'm guilty or I was guilty of more so, I guess, then than now. But, like, I'm somebody who, because I follow fantasy so closely and I have, like, in my idea, a good perception of player values, I usually like to think that I have, like, the stats ready to back up whatever my argument with a trade is. Um, and I always try to be careful of going in really hard with a, oh, well, like, did you know about this, this, and this, like, on your player stats? Because two things. One is, you know, know the person most of the time even if you share stats with them, they won't go, Oh, like, wow, you're really like, I'm connecting and resonating with what you're saying. Now. I think I'm more likely to do this move because like this person has my best interest at heart. Like, yes, you want to do a deal that's good for both parties, but also you don't want to come across as like disingenuous because you're, you know, just a good guy trying to help out the other person. I think most people know you're trying to get a deal that works well for you. Um, the second thing I've kind of put a pulse on that I think is really effective, and I've noticed I'm getting a lot more trades going in multiple of my leagues, is I usually like to say, you know, I'm selling these three players or I'm selling these four players. Um, and if somebody approaches me with a player, they'll say, oh, well, what do you want for them? And what I like to do instead of just making an offer outright is I like to look at their roster and say, I like these five players on your team. And then I like to share a little bit more. So, for example, you know, I was talking to a guy in one of my leagues, um, and he wanted Justin Herbert. And this was before this blow up crazy week. So, you know, one of the things I was thinking about a lot with Justin Herbert is where do I really want to sell him for before, you know, feeling like I have seller's remorse for doing it. So I took a quick peek at his team. I saw that he had DeAndre Swift and Aaron Jones. Um, his receivers weren't really super appealing to me, and I'm very set at receiver. So I said to him, listen, I'll be honest with you. You know, I like Aaron Jones a lot, but he's the RB3 right now in the year. I don't think you're trying to sell him because your team's winning a lot. And I like Swift a lot, but Swift also has just had an excellent weekend. I know it might be difficult for you to sell him. So to be honest with you, unless you see a situation where you maybe could part with one of those guys, I don't think we're going to get a deal done. 
Um, you know, he looked at the trade. He is somebody who I usually have more difficulty trading with, but he's not unreasonable. And he kind of said, yeah, like, I think you're asking something fair, but like, I obviously can't part with Aaron Jones right now. And then boom, we're done. Like no hard feelings. Like I didn't make him a formal offer of a one for one. So he's not sitting there and getting offended by, you know, my trade offer. So I really like that approach of trying to show somebody, Hey, these are the five pieces or the three pieces I love on your roster. And then also saying like, I am aware of what my player's value probably would be to you in this context. I like, I like that a lot. Like actually, um, and a kind of a challenge that I've had. Um, and I want to see what you guys think about it is like in this off season, I know I, I sold digs in one league, but there was another league where I was, I was trying to buy them. And, um, I almost, I came, I like approached it as like, Oh, you know, I think he's going to regress a little in Buffalo. And like, that's why I was kind of buying a little low. And when I said that the league mate said to me, well, if you think that, then why are you buying him? And I kind of like, didn't really have an answer. I was like, well, that's a good point. Like it was, it was a weird way of me saying, I'm going to buy this guy low. And then he's like, well, like, why are you doing that? Um, so I kind of want to see like how you guys like, like what you guys thought about because that. like Mike says sometimes you do want to be honest and say hey you know I know you probably won't take this trade but there is kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy to it and uh, there's a saying kind of in sales and it's it reminded me of this it's kind of like basically don't it's don't shoot yourself in the foot like if you're about to make a deal or you were walking into something don't you know, put the uh, the bad juju out there, <laughs> basically. There's no reason to do that until you're put in a situation where you think, okay, you know, this isn't going to happen. I can say, hey, I thought he was going to regress. That's why I wanted to buy. Like, don't open with that. You say that kind of at the end if you run at options. Yeah, I think I think there's a duality to it. And what I found to be successful is, like, like I said, setting the context up front is really helpful with trade owners. Don't give them like five paragraphs. Just give them like a, hey, like observed your roster. Like it seems like you're going for it this year. Based on that, like I have a couple of pieces I'm kind of looking to offload just because I'm looking to get younger here or here. Um, and like these are the guys that I'm kind of targeting. Do you have any interest in these guys? And if you do it that way, right, and then you go into a discussion about a player, well, that's fine. What I've noticed very unusually is if you try to justify really in any capacity why you want somebody or like why do you want to sell them, um, you just – for whatever reason, the trades are just a lot harder to get done. I think when you get into the logistics of like I like my player or I dislike your player, it becomes really difficult to prove to somebody else that like you're coming at them with something they should Definitely be entertaining sense. as a serious offer, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just be up, just be upfront about it. Yeah. I like that. I think be upfront about your, your thinking on why you're trying to target players. You don't need to tell them why you like their player. You know what I mean? Like I don't have to tell somebody I like Chris Godwin because he, <laughs> he had a really good year last year. Like I can just say, I'm looking to get younger at this position or like, I'm looking to bolster up my receivers. I noticed that like with Godwin hurt or, you know, and, and you seem to be going for it this year, I would like to give you a package for Godwin. Like, would you be interested in hearing offers for him? Like, I just find that has a more successful rate of opening up versus Definitely. like directly saying like, I like Godwin. It goes back to what we said. Uh, oh my God, I guess like 10 episodes no, I, ago. I like now. that a lot. Yeah. Um, everyone has the same info as you. You know, we all just saw that guy blow up. We all just saw that guy get hurt and we know he might not be coming back anytime soon. So 
you know, everyone's going off the same thing. There is no pulling a fast one unless someone's truly not paying attention. And Mike, I just wanted to say that I'm really glad that you uh, you kind of improved on your old strategy because sometimes, you know, statistics are worthless. And because sometimes opinions and the owner's feelings about a player absolutely trump statistics. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's why it's very hard because most people's perception of players is also that the player I own is worth more than other people's. Um, you know, so it's like that you have to think about that too. Most people's mindset is uh, my player is worth more because I already own them. And to your point, Tim, that's why it's hard to come at somebody with stats and get a successful trade. Um, you know, so, so with that being said, guys, I think we're, we're at 60 minutes here. We're looking good for the week. Um, Congrats to everybody who looks like they're still competitive at week seven. Um, we're going to be coming back to you next week as always. And uh, with that being said, please follow us on Twitter, um, Instagram. We post on Reddit every week. And I wanted to quickly shout out that we're going to be starting to look at kind of like the Don Juan's rankings. Um, we'll talk about, we'll talk about it a little bit at the top of next episode too, but you know, there are times when people don't have, uh, an hour or 30 or 40 minutes to dedicate to listening to a podcast. We thought a good way to kind of communicate with the community would be to set up our rankings for our top 50 players for, you know, myself, John and Tim, and then kind of open up and have discussions on those players and, you know, assess the biggest risers and fallers. So, you know, with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and close out and kick it over to you guys to see if you have any closing remarks. No. I like that. Just, uh, you know, follow us on Instagram. I keep putting up nice posts and then we're still trying to do that. Um, that group chat on Instagram, um, just kind of get a general discussion going on and start sits. All right. Thanks boys. Peace out.